Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Mary Roselle, the global head of the UBS Art Collection. She is responsible for its strategic direction and management of UBS's art collection of over 30,000 works of art, considered to be one of the most important collections of its kind. An art lawyer and art historian, Mary is also the author of The Art Collector's Handbook, The Definitive Guide to Acquiring and Owning Art, published in 2020. Launched in December of 2022, Mary was the editor of Reimagining New Perspectives, the UBS Art Collection. Mary has acted as an advisor to collectors, artists, and estates on all issues relating to the acquisition, management, and deaccessioning of private art collections, and is a recognized leader in the field. Enjoy this episode featuring Mary Roselle. She has had a very interesting life and I'm excited to share a peek into her journey. Mary, I am delighted to feature you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Phyllis. I'm thrilled to be here. When in your life did you recognize your love of the visual arts? My parents were quite creative, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to art growing up, art per se, other than reproductions in our home. I grew up in the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains, and um, there wasn't a lot there. So it was only once I got into college and had more exposure to the world that I started recognizing this. What inspired you to study art? That's a good question because I, you know, I didn't feel, I think it's it, it's kind of interesting because at the time, I didn't really feel like I could study art. I felt like I had to do something, quote, more serious. And um, my first time out of the country was when I was in college and I had the opportunity to study in Egypt for a month. So that was kind of my first exposure to, you know, and and it was an art course, technically. And from there, I did my junior year in Paris. Once you get a taste of being outside the country, especially from when you're from a small town, it kind of becomes this hunger. And it was only... When I was in Paris and I was taking all these, you know, political science classes and history classes, but there was an advisor who said to me, Mary, you're in Paris. It's okay to study art. And I was like, yeah, okay. Maybe it is okay to study art. I think it was just being a woman as well. Like, I just didn't know that it was something that would be viable for me. 
So then I proceeded to basically take mostly art courses and, you know, starting with the Middle Ages and I had a class in Versailles, I had a class in the Louvre. It, it was such a, an amazing experience. And then from there, there was really no turning back. And how did you enter into the role you have now? And let's share with listeners exactly what you do. Well, it's kind of a long story, but my current role, I'm the global head of the UBS Art Collection. And in that role, I'm responsible for over 30,000 artworks around the world. And I have a global team. We take care of this collection. I would say the primary duty is to be the stewards of this collection, which was founded essentially in the 1960s. So it's been around for a good 60 years. It's quite heritage. It's a legacy of the company. So we're the stewards of that collection. We still acquire works. We're still building the collection, but we also do what we say activating the collection, which is how do we use these artworks? Part of that is education. A big part of it is exhibitions, loans. We do events around the art books. And as you know, we've done some books. So in the last seven years, we've published four books on the collection. So it's it's actually quite a huge role. And um, I have this global team. My team members are in Zurich, in London, in Frankfurt, in New York, in Hong Kong, Singapore now, and the United States. So that is that is where I am now. And, you know, I've had quite a long career. I'm also an arts attorney. That's how I started out. Again, you know, as a woman, I felt like, oh, can I, can I quote, just be a curator? Would it be okay to get a PhD? You know, at the time when I was starting my career, it was a time when we saw a lot of museum directors failing in their roles with their PhDs because they didn't know how to run things. And so I thought, oh boy, I'm going to need to get some other degree. I wasn't personally keen on going to business school. And art law was a developing field at the time and something that I did find intellectually interesting. So I did practice art law for a bit, but I always knew that it was temporary and that I would just go on and continue to be more focused on art. And then I got a master's degree in art history and and I spent kind of my developing career years in Berlin, not long after the wall came down, which was a really exciting place to be. That's why I was there because it was just, it was quite mind-blowing what was happening in the art space there. And it seemed like a once-in-a-lifetime chance. And, you know, while I was there, I was curating, I was writing for the art newspaper, I worked at an auction house, I was very active in a lot of different directions. And it was when I came back to the U.S. in around 2000 that I started really getting into the collecting space and working with private collectors. And then I went to, I ran the art business program at Sotheby's Institute of Art and developed a course on collecting and wrote a book on collecting. And, and it was through all that collecting experience that I ended up at UBS, one of the great corporate private collections in the world. And it was kind of also the stone unturned. This whole corporate collecting space was something a little bit different. And what do you enjoy most about what you do? Um, you know, the job is very multifaceted, which is great. Of course, I think, you know, the most satisfying thing is to work with artists. We work with a number of artists and we have long-standing relationships with artists as well. They definitely 
inspire us. We also, I also enjoy working with our clients. Um, we are the largest wealth manager in the world, UBS, and many of our clients are passionate collectors, super interesting people. So to bring these artists together with the clients, these kind of conversations, it's always rewarding. You know, it's always changing. You're always learning and it's very stimulating. Do you see um, interest developing in ceramics as fine art? I do. I think it's been very interesting to watch. I mean, of course, ceramics have been around since ancient times, but I think to me, it seems to be something that has been growing the interest, the collecting interest has been growing more broadly as the art world expands. You know, the demand, the artwork over the last 20 years, particularly the last 15 years, the art world really has been democratized. And there are all sorts of collectors, all different ages, all around the globe. And I see ceramics as just another facet of growth within that art world ecosystem. I also think it's interesting, you know, similarly is, is glass. You know, as you know, being here in New York, we're seeing, it, it, particularly in the MTA, our public transport systems, there is all these gorgeous glass mosaic commissions that the MTA has been doing over the last several years. Nick Cave, Vic Muniz, Kiki Smith come to mind. I, and I love to see that too. I love to see branching out in these different media. We don't have a lot of ceramics at uh, UBS, I would say, because, because our works, interestingly, unlike museums, our works are mostly on display as opposed to in storage, and it is a workplace, so we are quite limited in terms of fragility. On the subject of commissioning, mm -hmm. what is the process like commissioning work for a specific site? At UBS, we have this long history of commissioning artworks that started in the 70s, and UBS had these fantastic commissions by international artists, mostly in Switzerland, and it went up to around the year 2000. And when I came on board um, almost eight years ago, I was very interested in reviving this tradition, although as an art lawyer, I know very well that commissions have special challenges. You do need a contract for one. It has to be very well thought out. And, you know, in terms of having checkpoints along the way, which you may want to tie your payments to. And then there is, you know, the thing about commissions is I, I find that you know, they are often the biggest reward. It's it's not buying an artwork off a wall. It's getting a piece that is tailor-made for your space. The challenge there is you don't know exactly what you're getting or if you're going to like it. And the delicate part of it is to, you don't want to give artists direction in terms of, you don't want to be influencing their artistic freedom. You want them to be creating something, you know, you want their vision to be intact. Particularly like in our environment, though, there may be things that might be off limits. You know, we generally, because we're a workplace, we can't have certain subject matter that's too extreme or whatnot. And we also need to consider the longevity of the piece. What happens if we sell a building? down the road? Can we remove that artwork? So there's, there's practical aspects, there's um, intellectual property aspects, and, and there's the integrity of the piece, all of which need to be carefully worked out. 
And then the execution itself can be quite challenging because usually these works are sizable pieces. So, you know, we will often spend, you know, over, in some cases, we'll spend a year just negotiating a commission and then the execution takes longer. But it's something that we have been really committed to, both in terms of installing permanent artworks in in buildings around the world, generally our flagship offices. But also we've done shorter term commissions for our art fair lounges. We are the main sponsor of Art Basel and a number of other fairs around the world, including Art SG, which just took place in Singapore. And so sometimes we will do special commissions and work with artists just for these kind of temporary displays, which is also a lot of fun. What is your favorite type of art or, or paintings? abstract, figurative? I don't think I can say. You know, there's so much that I love and it changes all the time. I also, I'm interested in all different periods of art. You know, as I said, I started off with Egypt and kind of, you know, kind of through my classical art history training, just worked up uh, the timeline to the contemporary period. And, and, you know, along the way, I took medieval art while I was in Paris. I think I mentioned that. And, you know, in that case, we're studying stained glass, we're studying tapestries, and we're studying architecture of, of the great cathedrals. So it takes many different forms. And, um, of course, there's all different periods. I, I would say that my training, and as one gets older and as the art world gets more global and as we get out in the world and see things, I do think that my lens has been shaped naturally by a Western point of view. And that's something that has been, you know, interesting to try to challenge over the last 20 years or so. You know, if you whether you go to Asia or South America or Africa, and you think, wow, if I hadn't grown up in a Western country, I hadn't spent all this time in Europe, what art, you know, would have had an impact on me and what would my path have been? I think that's our great challenge in the art space now is it's almost it's almost overwhelming. You know, how can you see see everything when you're thinking about the whole world as we do in our collection? Early on, can you recall if there was a particular artist or body of work that just really impacted you? You know, again, there were many phases and there were many different kinds of art that uh, struck me in different ways. Sometimes the art is speaking to you just because of the mind-blowing execution. I remember I took a course on Northern Renaissance painting and just, you know, the Jan van Eyck's and the Roger van der Weyden's, the their ability to create these tiny details to such perfection just kind of blew my mind. And and sometimes you're transported more by the message. And my master's is actually in German expressionist art. So that's more the modern period. And, you know, up until then, I was very, I was a French major. I lived in France. I was very focused on all different eras in French art. But when I saw these Germans, <laughs> and the German art came through my legal work because I was working on restitution cases that had taken place, you know, that's basically World War II looted art. And so that's how I kind of first met Expressionism. And what is so striking about Expressionism, particularly as opposed to French art, is it's all about emotion and it's using these fauvist, vivid colors and painting, drawing, woodcuts. It's, it's a very physical expression. So it was all about the inner self. 
And I think that had a huge impact on me. And that that really changed the course of things for me and was part of the reason I ended up in Berlin. And and I'm still quite the Berlinophile and I'm still very passionate about this this moment in art history, which you know has been revived in, in neo-expression, neo-expressionism in the 80s and 90s in Germany and and also, you know, other global tenants of it. But I do, you know, I was always taken by how that with such emotional work, also responding to history and the social upheavals of the time. What do you feel is the purpose of art? Well, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, transports you, inspires you and challenges challenges the way you think. I think one of the great things about having this corporate collection is um, having people get upset about certain pieces and come into my office and say, I don't like that piece. I don't get it. And of course, contemporary art is, um, you know, it's not like looking at a Renaissance picture. I mean, in a sense, the Renaissance pictures need to be decoded often in terms of knowing the Bible or knowing patronage and the hierarchies and, and all of that. But in terms of contemporary art, it can be quite intimidating if it's not speaking to you visually. Sometimes it's hard to know what's going on. And that's where the dialogue comes in. And that's what we love, to be able to speak about the art and the artist's message. So, you know, it's all those things. It's transporting you, challenging you. And I, th I think, you know, when I, I work a lot and I have worked a lot with, with collectors. And one collector said that he considered abstraction, contemporary abstraction, a playground for the mind. And I always loved that saying. And, you know, anyone who collects or even has art knows the impact that artwork has on you each and every day. And I, I think it's also very personal, right? It's the art that one's like. We're all drawn to different artworks due to our own stories. And, and I think the impact depends on your own individual self and journey and interests. And what do you feel is the role of the artist? I think the role of the artist is to be themselves and be authentic. I think that is what, you know, some people will say that artwork has an aura. And I think you do feel this sometimes. And it's particularly like with something like drawing, I've always liked drawing because of the immediacy of that medium. And in many cases, you can feel the act of creativity. And I think, you know, for the artist... It's, um, it's important to remain true to your instincts and, and your own personal journey. And, and I know it's hard because artists are under a lot of pressure, particularly if they meet success and galleries want them to create in a certain direction. And I always admire artists that have success and get known for X way of production or a certain way of expression. And then they go in a different direction because that's what they're called to do. And it may not be commercially viable or as viable for them, but they do it anyway because they're following their own path. I also think it's interesting because then over decades, sometimes, you know, if it's a long career, you see how those different paths connect. But I would say being true to the self is the most important. That's the job of the artist. Have you ever considered being an artist? Oh, no, I don't. I don't think I have the talent, but I do. I was drawn to photography early on. We had a dark room in, in our cellar and my dad was a really good photographer. And uh, it's a medium I always enjoyed and still enjoy and, you know, have looked into academically. 
But no, I don't think that's my role in life, <laughs> unfortunately. How do you keep learning? Oh, I think, you know, I think that's the reason we're in the art space is because art offers you that opportunity to learn continually. So, and I would say it's not just the visual arts. Um, learning, yes, I mean, I think anyone in the visual arts, the most important thing to do is see art. And, you know, that's what I did as a young person with all my vacations, all the money I could scrap together, going to youth hostels around Europe, just really on a mission to see all the great museums. And, you know, that's that's a lifelong practice. Um, but it's the same with reading and travel. And I like I like it when we are taken out of our comfort zone and landing in a foreign country and being humbled because you don't speak the language or you don't know the history well enough. And so, and yeah, reading, just so much to read all the time. So, but I think learning is what keeps us alive and inspired, right? What current or upcoming exhibitions are you really excited about? So many. Well, if I had my, <laughs> if I could make a dream come true, one show I'd love to see um, in the coming year is the Vermeer show that's going to be at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. I think it starts in February, but it's, I think it's like 28 out of 37 Vermeer pictures. So you have these kind of once in a lifetime opportunities, maybe twice in a lifetime opportunities. Also just coming up, I think there's um, a hip hop show in contemporary art in Baltimore that I'm excited to see. And uh, there's a Carl Lagerfeld show that's gonna be at the mat. Um, I do like these fashion designer shows that we've been seeing a lot of over the past few years. I just saw the Terry Mugler show in the Brooklyn Museum, for example. And, you know, I was familiar with that designer at the time at, you know, his peak. And but when you see a show presented beautifully, you actually you see the art. You see that it's it's not just fashion. It actually is art. And then, of course, there are a number of gallery shows all over that we're looking forward to. Oh, and we, we're going to be lending a couple of artworks to the Ed Ruscher retrospective that will be opening at MoMA in September, and then it's going to travel to LACMA in, in Los Angeles. And we are fortunate to have 63 works by Ed Ruscher in the UBS Art Collection. So, and Ed Ruscher is one of my absolute favorite artists and individuals. So I'm super excited about that. This has been a great conversation. It's informative and I'm happy that I made the decision to feature you. So this is our last question. And that is, how do you want to impact the art world? That's a great question. I think, you know, Phyllis, one thing that I think a lot about with the art world, of course, we think about representation and, you know, that's something we've been working on a lot in the collection over the last several years. But along with representation, there's access. Who gets to see art? Who gets the exposure? And, you know, one of the things we tried to do with the collection, you know, corporate collections are, you know, they're historically kind of secret. It's for the people that work in the corporation, maybe some clients. So, you know, we have tried to open up the collection. We have a public gallery space at 1285 Avenue of the Americas. It's free to the public during the work week. And, you know, we lend works. We have, we've gone online. We do virtual shows. We do exhibitions in museums. So we try, we've tried to open up the collection and share the collection as much as possible. But that being said, 
a lot of the recipients of this openness are still, you know, people who are in the art world or are interested. They already have access to the art world. They're the people who think of coming into a gallery. And what I'm interested in is I think all of us as professionals, we have this responsibility to be more inclusive. And But often by the time you get to the professional level, you know, there's there's nobody to hire um, because they they were excluded. the The demographic you want to reach has been excluded from the whole elite art education system and art training system. And you know, I even had a taste of this, as I mentioned, growing up in a small town. I didn't think I could work at Sotheby's. I didn't, you know, it was very intimidating and it's expensive. You know, all of these, you have to be able to have an apartment in New York City. So what I'd like to think about as a professional and also in my role is how can we touch younger people from more disadvantaged backgrounds? How can we bring them into a bank, say, and an elite collection, make them feel comfortable, make them feel like they see themselves in these artworks, that they can talk about them and, you know, help them in their path, if any are so inspired to pursue this route, to help them in their professional path and uh, mentor them and open doors for them. So, yeah, that's kind of it really for me at this point is it's about inclusion, broader inclusion into this traditionally very elite enclosed art world. Thank you for viewing things that way. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Phyllis. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.